120, 130 trees and maybe 80 or so varieties. Oh, so that's a pretty that's pretty exciting. I know um, I'm I'm fairly new at studying apples here in Maine, but I do know that the the apple has been critical to the development of New England. And um, I know, for example, uh, I have, my family comes from the uh, Norway, South Paris part of the state. And in the 30s, I know my mother talks about picking apples and sending barrels of them to England. And that the uh, basically the New Englanders wouldn't have survived without the apple tree. They used it for livestock feed. They, they used it to cook. They root solid the, the crop. Um, they made apple butter. They made a sweetener out of it, and of course, the best thing they made out of it was hard cider. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think our New Eng- our New England ancestors love their hard cider, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. So we're going to spend you know a few minutes this morning just sort of talking about if people are interested in orcharding, what they can do, how they could get started. And uh, there are many, many resources. We're really fortunate that we have available here in the state, which is kind of fun. And uh, I know, of course, we just completed the Common Ground Country Fair, and I know a number of things happened at the fair this year. Phil, you had a program there, didn't you? Yeah, I, I gave a little talk on starting a home orchard. Ah, well, why don't you, geez, that just is a nice segue into what we'd like to talk about today. You want to just share some of that, you know, what folks sure. might think about if they were going to start their own home orchard, so to sure, speak? Sure, yeah. Um, uh I started about 25 years ago thinking about uh, starting an orchard, and I knew I wanted to have an organic orchard. And I thought, well, maybe there are some varieties that do particularly well without spraying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I went around to a lot of the commercial orchards in this area and said, uh, this is what I want to do. You know, Can you give me recommendations? And every single one of them, to a man, said, it can't be done. You can't do it organically. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. They all, <laughs> and they were all men. And, but I didn't believe them. I like that. And it's a good thing I didn't because I would have missed out on a lot of good apples. Um, so I started uh, a long-term experiment. I was going to uh, plant as many different varieties on my property as I could mm-hmm. and uh, grow them out mm-hmm. and see which ones did the best without spraying. And so here it is now, 25 years later, and um, I, these are my results. <laughs> so you have, did you obviously must have planted more than the 50 trees that you have now to start this grand experiment? Um, well, actually, I've planted a lot of trees uh, that have died. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. part of the learning process. You know, the, the uh, borer, the uh, rounded apple tree borer is uh, voracious. I've lost so many trees to this pest. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, well, you know, I, I, let's say I have 50 slots. Okay, okay. On, you know, I, yeah, I've filled every available space on my property with, <laughs> with, with apple <laughs> Maybe trees. Maybe we need to get you some more property. No. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So let's, let's assume that, and we can, I'm interested in starting a home orchard. Okay. So what types of things should I be thinking about? What should I be looking for? You know, either one of you, what, what should I be doing here? First of all, I know we have first thing I want to say is that it can be done. Okay. Uh, um, You won't get um, 90% marketable fruit if Mm -hmm. you're doing it organically. Uh, The the, uh, secret is that even commercial orchardists don't get 100% marketable fruit. They have have, uh, incidental damage. Um, You know, none of their, their fruit 
it isn't it isn't perfect. Those are the ones you don't see. You know, they mm-hmm. they go into the utility uh, classification. So, but an organic orchardist can expect to get um, maybe sixty percent marketable. Okay, and when we say marketable, that's something that the consumer would look at and say, yeah. "This is a pretty apple." Yeah, but I mean, obviously, not all consumers are alike, and many of us feel quite strongly that it doesn't have to be gorgeous to be edible and oh, actually Cheryl <laughs> if you go into the grocery store and you I don't to... <laughs> see I don't go to the grocery ah, store number one but, step but the, the consumers you know we've been kind of uh, brainwashed to want perfect looking fruit okay and sure. people just you know people look at an apple that's got a, a, a cosmetic defect and they mm-hmm. go oh no I'm not going to eat that mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. though it's perfectly good inside mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's what we're dealing with usually on on our farm we sell all the perfect-looking fruit and eat the... And then you yourself can The utility enjoy. ones for ourselves. Right. So if I'm a home orchardist, I'm really not necessarily interested in marketing my fruit. I'm probably more interested in, in the homesteading piece. Yeah. And I'm interested in providing apples for my family or maybe for cider or for or for applesauce and things like that. Right. So what what types of things do I need to be thinking about? Are there any specific soil conditions? I mean, how do you plant a tree? How do you get started? You gotta, you guys got to educate me on this one here. You want to talk about soil? Yeah. Well, I think really you first think about site selection mm-hmm. and where this tree is going to be. And the trees are going to be their full sun crops. So you want to have a nice sunny mm-hmm. space, um, <clears throat> south-facing usually to get that good sunlight, but also think about water drainage and air drainage as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So sometimes if you have a slope, that's the air drainage will uh, move air through the, the trees more easily. It's a lot more helpful. Um, in the organic situation, probably your biggest issue will be managing apple scab, the main, the primary fungal disease, and really trying to get those leaves as dry as quickly as possible. Um, is one strategy to manage that disease. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So some yeah. of that airflow, keeping the air moving through, not cold pockets are going to settle and get these frosts in early spring that will kill blossoms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I have, uh, my orchard is on a southwest slope mm-hmm. and it's a sandy soil and I have hardly any scab. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. You know, on Macintosh I get a little scab and, and snow, which is another uh, scab prone variety, but... Scab is not my biggest problem, and I think it's just because of... Uh, the site location. Yeah. So it's real critical. Okay. So, I mean, I've often he- heard that apple trees are like a, a big ca- canopy or that they're a big solar collector, and that the best fruit is so that they can absorb the, that sun. Is that... Yeah. And always the apples on the south side of the tree are the... the um, Best looking, the best looking, yeah. the biggest, and that yeah, sort of thing. All right. Colored. So, I mean, obviously, so that's the first thing. If we got to, make, we have to determine where we're going to site our trees. Okay. Mm-hmm. What else does one need to consider if they're thinking about home orcharding? Well, soil wise, you want to <clears throat> be in more of the drier location, not mm-hmm. in, the, in the wet, low bottom area. Mm-hmm. Um, but most often, the soil you have is the soil you have. So you have to think about building that soil over time. Okay. All right. So I think. The best approach is really before you're planting the trees is to be able to get a soil test, mm-hmm. get an idea of your nutrient levels, the pH mm-hmm. of your soil, mm-hmm. and do a little bit of amending to the soil before planting out the trees. Okay. Um, that is if you are, I guess, disciplined enough to, <laughs> to work this for a year or so right, before. Beforehand. Well, I think if someone's going to get into this, they're going to want to be a little methodical about it and take some time to do some that. Yeah. And when's the best time to plant a tree? 
I use, I'd say in the spring. I mean, you can plant them in the fall, but I've always uh, had good luck planting in the early spring around the middle of April. Just just uh, the frost has just gone out of the ground. That, mm-hmm. That's usually a good time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I will say um, our farm is called Clayfield Farm. We actually have two soil types. We have uh, glacial sand up on the high ridge, and then it kind of lowers down into uh, marine clay. Mm-hmm. And I've seen apples. Tr- people have tried to plant apples in that marine clay, and they just—it wasn't successful. No, they don't like wet feet. No. Apple trees—they mm-hmm. like uh, well-drained soil. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, all right. So we've got a good site selection. Mm-hmm. We're looking at our soil. We are hopefully going to get a soil test and maybe do some amendments. What types of things? What types of things do we do at the common ground as far as soil amendments and and managing the soil fertility? Uh, we use a lot of compost. Mm-hmm. I know we generate a lot of compost there. after the fair. We generate a lot of compost. Um, I use a lot of mulches. Okay. Uh, we have a lot of. Uh, mulch hay that is left over after the fair that either gets composted or I just use it to kind of suppress grass around the younger trees mm-hmm. um, using wood chips to help build some nutrition in the soil mm-hmm. and just thinking really about building the soil from the top down so to speak and mm-hmm. long-term uh, reserves of nutrients for mm-hmm. the tree rather than quick bursts of nutrients here and there. Right, right. And in how long? I know you said we got almost 150 type trees on on the uh, common ground. When was that? Was that started right after the uh, the building was built? How long? Was it I believe it was started right around uh, 98 or 99. Right. So it's in those first few years. And so, about how long does it take once you plant an apple tree? I mean, this is the big question. I mean, trees. You know, I mean, you plant corn and it comes that year. You know, you plant a tomato plant. Apples, you've got to be thinking a little bit in the future. About how long once you plant a tree is it going to take? It varies according to variety. Four years if you plant a Liberty, mm-hmm. and I think every homeowner should plant a Liberty apple tree. This is a great apple. It's uh, one of the new scab-resistant varieties. It's low-maintenance, mm-hmm. early-bearing, and uh, a reliable annual cropper. Mm-hmm. Great apple. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> most trees, more like five years. Mm-hmm. Some trees, like Northern Spy, might be uh, 10. It's probably going to be at least 10 or 12 years before you get any Before apples. you really get any fruit. Yeah. Right. Well, And that that's actually, you're bringing up a good point that I had wanted to get into, is there are many apple varieties, and some are suited better to different climates than others. All right. I know you talked about the Liberty. I actually have... A bit of experience with Liberty apples only in making applesauce. I've made several hundred pounds of applesauce from Liberty apples, and I agree with you. It, it can be a beautiful fruit. It's yeah. a nice fresh-eating fruit also. Right, so, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so Northern Spy is an older variety. Is that correct? Right. And my is that one that it comes on later in the season and is more of a root cellar type of an apple? Exactly. It's a, a real long keeper, one mm-hmm. of the best keepers. Mm-hmm. And what are other, some of the other varieties that folks might want to be thinking about? I think some of the other uh, scab-resistant varieties are good choices for the backyard, mm-hmm. especially in no-spray situations or low-spray situations like the Liberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are numerous other ones that have come out of the kind of PRI breeding program with Purdue, Rutgers, Indiana. Yep. Um, okay. All right. And a lot of them have those PRI letters in the name. So things like Williams Pride and Pristine, oh, okay. Prima. Okay. Oh, I never knew that. So that's what that, the PRI. Yeah. <laughs> but Cornell has also come up with some. Has done some, some research as yes. far as apples yes. are concerned. Yes. So they're, 
you know, they're resistant to the to the apple scab disease, so that's just kind of one less thing to worry about um, mm-hmm. when you're managing those trees. All right, so we're going to plant, we're going to find a good site, we're going to have adequate sun, we're going to have drainage, we're going to have good soil, we're going to select some varieties. So let's just sort of uh, maybe walk me through the season as far as starting in the starting well actually right now because we're in the fall okay. what are the types some of the types of things that we as a backyard orchardist is going to be thinking about what are we going to be doing and let's sort of go through the season and before, before we do that uh, let me talk about varieties sure go ahead because um, i think wealthy Ah, okay. It is a great, that's a colonial variety, but everybody should have a wealthy tree also. <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, I'm going to write these down. I'm going to have varieties. You need two varieties to okay. pollinate each other. So wealthy and liberty. And then there's there's Honeycrisp. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know about Honeycrisp, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. This is the one that commands the best price in the grocery store. If you go in, yep. you know, all the apples will be one price. And then there's the Honeycrisps, and they're more expensive. Well, you know, just one bite will uh, let well, you know why. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, Another one that I recommend is Black Oxford. And that's another keeper, is that correct? You've got one, yeah, you've a, got one right here yeah, in the studio. Yeah, this is a great apple. Um, the funny thing about these, though, is they get kind of rubbery in storage. Oh, really? Unless you pack them in plastic. We always put them in a plastic bag, and then they're fine. They're, mm-hmm. like, they're like golden russet. That's another one that, you have, that requires humid mm-hmm. uh, storage conditions. Right, right. So, so other varieties... Um, Let's see. Um, what we, you know what? My favorite apple is the chestnut. Mm, I just made an applesauce out of the chestnut. Yeah, we made applesauce. Beautiful. Uh, it's a very small apple. It's not much bigger than a, a chestnut. Mm-hmm. But they're they're spicy. They've got a great flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's it for a small one. And then what else? Um, well, I'll just have, put in a plug for Newt Grindle. Oh, is that this variety? Yeah, this is a new Grindle. You, you folks that are listening to us, by the way, you're, if you're just joining us, you're listening to your community radio station, WERU 89.9, here in Blue Hill and 99.9 in Bangor. And this is the, the Common Ground Radio Hour, hosted by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardens Association. And we're talking about backyard orcharding. And uh, Phil has actually brought in some apples. So I know you folks can't see them out there, but they're really a beautiful. So tell me a little bit about this new what you call it? Newt? Newt Grindle. Okay. That was a Blue Hill man. Um, <clears throat> the history of this apple is uh, somewhere uh, around 1936 or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, Newt was the caretaker for a neighboring farm, and he discovered a seedling apple tree growing up alongside uh, a garden. And usually when you get a seedling apple tree, it's you know some accidental right. thing, and it's usually a spitter. You know, it's... Uh, Small and uh, you know maybe you know, <laughs> I've never heard that term before. Bitter, <laughs> oh yeah, you know just a sour, terrible yep. apple. You know, fit only for the pigs. Yep. So he decided to keep it as a pig apple. Okay. He decided to grow it out. Well, uh, a few years later, it started producing big, gorgeous, juicy fruit. <laughs> uh, you know, way too good for the pigs, and so <laughs> he started pruning the apple tree, and it turned into a beautiful tree. Mm-hmm. It's uh, on the East Blue Hill Road in, in Blue Hill. And, uh, <clears throat> oh, maybe six or seven years ago, John Bunker came and took a bunch of scions mm-hmm. from that tree and offered it in the Fedco catalog. And there's one up at the Common Ground Fair grounds, um, mm-hmm. a new Grindle tree. Mm-hmm. This is a great variety. It, it seems to do very well without spraying. Mm-hmm. 
uh, it, this is one of the few that does well without well spraying. spraying. So, yeah. Okay. Um, Black Oxford is another one that does really well without spraying. And then this one, do you know what that one is, Cheryl? I, I, I have to tell you, I know this is a bright red, and it's got some, it looks almost like some little green spotches on it. That is a Honeycrisp. That's the Honeycrisp? That, that's from my Honeycrisp tree. Oh. I just have one Honeycrisp tree. That is a patented apple. When I bought this apple, I was not allowed to take any scions. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? From it, yeah. Is it still that way? I I think it's changed now. Okay, all right. Yeah. So, oh, that I'm gonna try that, but I'll wait. I'll wait till we get off the air. I won't be. Che- I won't chew in front of everybody. I'll keep it. Okay. But you um you were asking about the uh you know the, what we do what yeah the we're win- doing the this cho- season this is so we're in the first you know the first weekend of well this October. is apple picking time okay yeah you know yesterday I picked snows um Macintosh mm-hmm. could be picked right now. Um, all the earlier apples have been picked, um, and some of the later ones um, are. St- I'm going to let them hang for a while. Like uh, golden russet, I'll let keep. They'll keep getting bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, all the really hard keepers, I, I leave them on the trees. The northern spies. The, so uh, when you say you leave them on the trees, to what? After a, f- a couple frosts. Yep. Yeah, they can stand a little frost. You don't want to leave them on too long. Uh, I think it was twenty six degrees is the is the cutoff point. Below that, they can they be free, solid they, and then they'll spoil. But, right. So, but so they can stay. They can tolerate quite a bit of cold. Yeah, and they I'm can. sure that helps with the sugars and makes the apple even a better tasting mm-hmm. apple. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So in the orchard now, I know there are all these different varieties come on at different times. For example, in our orchard, we have a transparent that comes oh, yeah. on in like the middle of August. Right. Okay. And I mean, I, I we never get to them that, as quickly as the deer do. So, <laughs> but I can tell when they, they start dropping off the trees and it's about time right. to maybe thinking about harvesting right. them. Mm-hmm. So we, you could start actually in your, in your orchard doing some harvesting if you plant the appropriate trees, like right through from August up until maybe into the 1st of November. Right. Well, that's quite a long period of time to have fruit if you're going to be having it in the backyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're right in the middle of apple picking season. What other, what other types of things does one need to be thinking about doing right now? Um, I have I tend to do all my feeding in mm-hmm. the uh, in the early spring. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read somewhere that it's not a good idea to feed uh, trees in, in this time of year because if you give them a shot of nitrogen, they they think they, it's time to wake back up. And yeah, they again. go whoopee and they start growing, <laughs> and then the cold weather slams them. Yep. So yep. you want the trees to be kind of settling down and, mm-hmm. and going into dormancy now. Okay. What else? And what do we do? What do you, uh, what types of things are you doing over? I know you're picking because yep. we see all Harvesting. of a sudden <laughs> we see all these nice apples that CJ brings into the office, <laughs> which we all delight with. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, is you know usually after the fairs when we have a lot of these materials available to spread around the orchard. So that's when I'll spread mulches, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the hay mulch, wood chips if we have enough, but also spreading compost in the fall time. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I think Phil is in a good situation where apple scab isn't a isn't a big pest for him at his place. But we have we have but that we, challenge at the yeah f- we deal with it annually. So I really focus in the fall on the orchard sanitation piece and how to clean up. So I'm always looking to clean up drops. Okay, um, that's right. We have a couple oh, yeah. pigs on the property yeah. now, so that's a great way to dispose of drops all throughout the year. Right. But yeah. also in the fall, apple scab is going to overwinter on mummified fruit, fallen fruit. Uh, fallen leaves. So I'm looking to 
do a final mowing usually towards the end of October, spreading compost and trying to speed up the decomposition of those leaves Mm -hmm. that are on the ground to limit the amount of fungal inoculum that's going to overwinter and be there in the spring ready to go and ready to infect. So, So you bring up a good point, sanitation. That must mean that you need to pick the trees clean every year is that part of a key part of the sanitation it is, process but picking up the drops is crucial really yeah because the drops you know there are little insects uh, you know their eggs yep, and larvae yep. and those mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. all the drops and plus when you're picking you don't want to be walking around on mushy rotten fruit <laughs> yeah i know i know <laughs> and the other thing is that that um we try and keep the orchard really clean so that when apples do drop you can use you we can use them do you have a deer um challenge uh, not place? so much. I have a um, an eight foot high fence. Oh, so you fence okay. around the whole orchard. Mm-hmm. I tried putting um, fences around individual trees, mm-hmm. and um, it that it was always a bummer. It never seemed to work very mm-hmm. well. Um, mm-hmm. You really need to uh, get in close to the trees. And if there's a little fence around it, it, it kind of excludes you. Mm-hmm. You need to be checking for borers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love having a the whole orchard fenced in. How about we now well, I've never really seen any deer activity on the common ground. Well, we do have deer activity and we don't have a perimeter fence, so I end up kind of caging the individual young trees yep. for the first few years mm-hmm. and usually just for the winter. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I'll do towards the end of this month and into November is put the little cages around the trees, the smaller trees just to protect them in those early years. Right. But after a few years they're big enough that I don't want to have to make a massive enclosure for each tree. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I remove those and don't worry about it. Right. And usually our deer pressure is, seems to be heaviest in March. Oh, really? So it seems like that's when they're coming out and Mm -hmm. maybe they're a little hungrier at that time. Right. Yep. Yep. And that's when I see a lot of tracks in the snow Mm -hmm. and a lot of damage on, if I don't cage a younger tree, uh, a lot of damage there or even the lower limbs on some of the, the larger trees. Do you have a, a bad borer problem up there at the fairgrounds? We have, but I feel like I'm I'm pretty vigilant. I will drop everything that I am doing if I see the signs of a borer in a young tree. Yeah. So how, tell you have, I'm not familiar with this at all. So what what are the signs and what does one look for? It's the round-headed apple borer. Um, usually uh, in the spring, um, as uh, soon as it uh, starts to warm up, the uh, female apple borer, it's, a, it's kind of a beetle, mm-hmm. will fly to the base of a young tree. It's always young apple trees, very mm-hmm. specific host, mm-hmm. and she'll lay one or several eggs mm-hmm. uh, under the bark, mm-hmm. and the uh, egg will, eggs will hatch out, and each one is a, a tiny little larva, mm-hmm. about an eighth of an inch long, and they'll start eating the cambium. And if you don't catch it in time, they'll just eat their way or right around the tree. They'll girdle the tree. Really? Um, yeah, um, they're awful. They they can <laughs> they can wipe, nasty, your, right? wipe, wipe your orchard out before you get a single apple. So when you say a young tree, I mean, at what stage of maturity is it? A certain diameter? That yeah. I, I, once you're up to about four or five years, you're kind of out of the danger okay. zone. Okay. All right. So but the the thing to look for is uh, it's a little frass. It's um, kind of a reddish oh, cool. sawdust um, that you see at the base of the tree, mm-hmm. and then you'll look closer and you'll see that there's a a soft spot on the uh, on the base of the tree. Okay. Yeah. And that's where the bore is. And you have to get in there with a, a knife or a wire or something and just poke around until you um, 
Get rid of it. Squish it. it. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Um, you're listening to uh, Common Ground, and we're talking about backyard orcharding. And I'm just about ready to invite folks to join the conversation, and I think we have a caller on the line right now. Good morning. Can you state your name and where you're calling from, please? Good morning. This is Jeff. I'm calling from Orland, East Orland. Oh, good. Just, just on the other side of the pond from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, question for you is, uh, well, we, we have had a beautiful apple tree, which unfortunately a bank beaver did in um, last year. But we still have, we have some really nice pear trees and a couple Asian pear trees and some cherry trees. The discussion that you're having now uh, about some of the challenges and, and preventions uh, and maintenance to the apple trees, does that does all of that hold true for the other fruits as well? Well, they all have their specific uh, pests. Uh, mostly we've been talking about apples. Pears, uh, they don't seem to be bothered by the borers. Um, well, we can talk about other pests that... Uh, that sure, let's go ahead. I think that would be a good... That's a good segue. Thank you for calling, Jeff. Okay, what are some you. of the other things that with, the, with like the pear trees and other pests? Well, the, the major pest for apples is the plum curculio. Okay. Which is also um, attacks plums and pears. Mm-hmm. Uh, it uh, comes out um, right around blossom time or after a little after blossom time, the... Uh, um, the, the plum curculio will will come in and um, puncture the young apple. The apple is about the uh, size of the end of your little finger, mm-hmm. and uh, the apple will will get um, the apple tree somehow knows that the apple has been compromised. Okay, and it will drop the apple off. Okay, so say that pest again, the plum. The plum curculio. I won't say it. You say it all the time. Okay. <laughs> and so, so they're terrible. They can, they can wipe out, you know, they can uh, eliminate 90% of your crop. Uh, and do they also attack the pears or just the ap- apples the, and plums? Pears also. Okay. Yeah. You can tell the plum curculio has been there. If the apple doesn't drop, there'll be a deep indentation. Mm-hmm. On one side, that's the sign of the plum curculio. Okay, and what kind of remedies does one do for this pest? Um, organically, there is something that you can do. It's um, it's white clay. Mm-hmm. It's white kaolin clay. There's a product called Surround, and that's what I've used, and um, it really works. Mm-hmm. Uh, you uh, suspend it in water. It comes as a you know a very fine powder. Right. You suspend it in water in a backpack sprayer, and you mm-hmm. go around and you spray all your apples. Mm-hmm. And the plum curculio, you know, their their brain is very tiny. They're not that bright. <laughs> you know, they're they're kind of hardwired to uh, have a specific host. Yep. Uh, and um, this is you know this white thing is obviously not the right host. So let's keep looking. Oh, I see. So, although it's by, that's why I must call it surround. By surrounding the apple with this white, then the then the pest isn't it. Yeah, yeah. It's not a it's not a toxic thing at all. Mm-hmm. It, it just fools them. You know, I think they're very sensitive to color. Okay, all right. And uh-huh. and that's another thing about the uh, the borers. The one of the th- ways I combat the borers is I put white paint around the base of the tree. Oh, okay. And uh, that fools them, and that that works pretty well. Not not foolproof, but it works pretty well. So we've been talking uh, a lot about apples and uh, some of the pests, and, and and but there are other trees, and it's the pear tree and some cherries and some peaches that can be grown here in the state, right? Mm-hmm. Peaches um, seem to be very uh, pest-free. 
Oh, really? Yeah, we've had we've had wonderful uh, luck with peaches. Hardly any insect damage to peaches. There is one disease, though, that's bad around peaches, and that's the peach leaf curl. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, I pity if you you if you have that. It's really hard to get rid of organically. Yeah, I tend I, to get a lot of calls in June or so in damp damp springs and early summers, especially from people along the coast mm-hmm. who are asking, "What is this curly red stuff that's happening on my on my peach tree leaves?" And it's and and that is a is it a fungal? It's, it's a fungus. Fun- yes, yeah. it's a fungal disease. And once you get it, is it? Do you have it forever? Or <laughs> it can be difficult. I think organically. Um, the really only approach is to use an approved sulfur type of spray okay. late yeah. in the fall to mm-hmm. kill whatever is on the tree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it were to be real heavy, then maybe a second spray of that sulfur product in the early spring before the buds even swell. Okay, okay. All um, right. If the spores are there and they're present and that bud starts to swell and open a little bit, the infection will happen and then it's there. Okay, so so you can try to control it. You can try to prevent it if you know that you're dealing with it. But organically trying to kill it once it's there, I don't think it's possible. It's it's not possible. So I had uh, peach trees for many years uh, with never a problem, just no, you know, I Mm -hmm. didn't have to do anything and I got beautiful fruit. And then one year I um, bought a peach tree that had peach leaf curl in it. Oh, boy. And I've had it ever since. So you've you've had it in your orchard ever since, right? Yeah, I've almost given up on peaches. That's uh, too bad. Except this year, for some reason, the peach leaf curl was very light, Mm -hmm. and we had wonderful peaches. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I didn't do anything. <laughs> to that. It's a luck of the draw. Yeah. Oh well, if in, in case folks out there are just joining us, you're you're listening to your community radio station, and I'm Cheryl Wixon with the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. Our topic of conversation this morning is backyard garden, uh, gardening, backyard orcharding, and we would love it if you'd like to join in the conversation. Our number here in the studio is 469-0500. I'm joined this morning with CJ Walk, uh, one of my co-workers from Mofka, who is our orcharding specialist and Phil Norris from Clayfield Farm here in East Blue Hill, who is a small commercial orchardist, and some of his beautiful fruit is available at the Blue Hill Co-op. I have seen it there. Uh, not this year. Oh, so we're and I. You're on Farm Drop. We are on Farm Drop. Yeah, and seen. at the farm, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I do believe we have a, another caller on the line. Good morning. Could you state your name and where you're calling from, please? Hi, this is Abby calling from Rockland. Good morning. Hello. Hey, I have um, this funny spots on my peaches. Um, I have peach leaf curl, but the those that fruit was okay. Mm-hmm. But on the other tree, the Alberta peach had these very bitter spots. It really affected the whole fruit. You guys have any ideas about Anybody? that? CJ, I don't know. Hi, Abby. Uh, I, so um, are you growing Reliance peach? The Reliant? seem to do all right with the, the leaf curl. Yeah. But the Alberta produced these horrible, bitter uh, fruit. I don't know. I don't know about The whole that. entire fruit was bitter or just... Yeah. Yeah, The and with these big, well, with spots all over the fruit. I mean, it was quite small, the fruit, but... Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm not familiar with the yes. Alberta variety. Me neither. You've stumped us, Abby. <laughs> <laughs> Stump the chumps. No, <laughs> this isn't car talk. This is uh, this is peach. This is peach talk. So, <laughs> oh well, we'll have to write that one down and see if we can do a little research on that. So, yeah. all right. Is it something that you would be able to take a photo of and email me a picture? 
Next year, maybe. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Yeah, is peach, peach season's about winding down, isn't it? Oh, it's um, Labor Day is usually the end of... Oh, really? For okay. Reliance All right. Peach. All right. Yeah, well, Abby, thank you for that call. And, um, well, that's... Sorry to not have an answer. No, right but we have to do... That's interesting. We have to do a little, do a little research. So, yeah. So, uh, so we're, we're talking about backyard orcharding and peach trees. Cherry out our cherry trees. We haven't talked a little bit about that. <clears throat> I, had, I tried a couple of... Uh, what was known as sweet cherries, mm-hmm. and they just weren't hardy. They were supposedly uh, good uh, for zone five. And it didn't and, work. Yeah, they got winter killed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, then there are sour cherries. I, I kind of stayed away from the sour cherries because mm-hmm. I just didn't like the, the name sour. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. So, But I hear that there's some great sour cherries that are hardy, like the Meteor, mm-hmm. uh, Montmorency, I'm not sure what else. I think I think we have another caller on the line. Good morning. Could you state your name and where you're calling from, please? Uh, yeah, it's Anne from Dixmont. And actually, I have a question about sour cherries. Ah, okay. And, and um, uh, grapes first. I don't want to get into a long discussion of Japanese beetles, but they seem to be the biggest attractant of Japanese beetles, so much so that I actually have been using the grapes as a trap crop. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question is, other than trying to get rid of Japanese beetles, what happens is they go to all of the mature leaves. I get young growth, and the mature leaves get decimated, and I consequently haven't had a grape in two years. Um, I, do I start by going all the way back to the trunk? Just some advice on um, what to deal with rather than just having little grape leaves and no fruit. And my second question about sour cherry is, and I do have a meteor, and it isn't as sour as people think it is, mm-hmm. um, brown rot, and I cannot get rid of it. I'm ready to... Put Cut the down cherry a tree. tree. Chop the cherry oh, tree George down. George Washington, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, those it are... just hits right at blossom, and it doesn't seem to care what I try to do to it. So, those are my two. Okay. Plagues. All right. Thanks. All right. Well, I'll hit the uh, the Japanese beetle piece. Um, I don't have a lot of experience with grapes, but I know that Japanese beetles are. I mean, they're a huge pest for many crops, not just uh, tree fruit or fruit in general. So usually in the organic approach is just trying to get out there early in the morning and collecting them, um, maybe throwing them into a little bucket of soapy water. Mm-hmm. Uh, I collect them and feed them to chickens. The chickens, okay. the chickens love, love them, them yeah, and go berserk right. over them. Um, so, But there are things that I'm hearing and I'm reading that as the Japanese beetle is moving north and being a real problem – further south in maybe southern New England and further south along the coast that some of the natural predators are kind of catching up and the balance is starting to be struck there. So hopefully over the coming years, we'll be able to see a little more of that predation happening from um, from natural predators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, you know, the nature has its, has its know, cycles. system yeah. of right, cycles. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, um, I tried a, a pheromone trap for uh, Japanese beetles. I, I had... Uh, a tree that it was just getting decimated, a young tree. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the first year I made the mistake of putting the trap right in the tree. And it <laughs> and seemed, bite. yeah, they came from, you know, miles, miles around, around to eat my tree. Yeah. And, you know, I caught 
tons of them, but the tree was decimated. So then I, uh, the second year, I put the trap uh, about 100 feet away and had really good control mm-hmm. of the Japanese beetle. I had collected so many Japanese mm-hmm. beetles. Mm-hmm. So those pheromone traps do work. So what about the, uh, the cherry question? The brown rock question is another difficult. The fungal diseases are very... They can, be, they can be a challenge in the organic setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so brown rot, I deal with brown rot in the hybrid plum block yeah. that we have yeah. on the grounds uh, at the Common Ground Education Center in Unity. And I am to the point where I think I need to look at using an approved sulfur spray kind of early spring before bloom time uh, to try to manage the brown rot that I get because if it gets... The typical sign that you'll see is on stone fruit, so it can happen with your peaches and your plums yeah. and your cherries, is you'll see this kind of tannish spores start to show up on the fruit that is the beginning of that rot. Um, but that's the sign that you already have it. Usually if it gets into a more advanced kind of stage, you're going to see blossoms in early spring that just turn black. And right. probably they don't even fall off the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and little cankers can form where those blossoms meet. Right. the twig on the tree. Uh, and then those cankers can actually start to ooze and spread that it's a, way. It's a nasty. Um, I've had it on plum trees, and I actually cut the trees down. Yeah. It just got to the point where there was just such a nasty fungal disease that I, we cut so them down. So the primary times are really if you get kind of before that bloom situation and then a few weeks before harvest seem to be the critical areas. Okay, okay. Um, well, but it's another thing that if you want to talk about cleaning up drops, I'm always cleaning up those drops, and if I see it on the tree, I'll yeah, you gotta pull get it the right mummies off the tree. tree, the sanitation. Yeah. yeah. So I think we have another caller on Can the I line. Can I just uh, say one more thing yep. about the Go brown ahead. rot? Sure. Um, I want to put in a plug for um, improving the soil. Um, I've had some uh, fungal problems in my orchard, and I could not figure it out for years. And then I improved the soil, and yeah. and the, the the problem went away. The trees, uh, if they're really healthy, they can fight off these diseases. And the other thing is pruning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you really prune hard and open the the tree up so that it's uh, it's not such dense foliage, that's going to help you with good the air, fungus. good air circulation. Yeah, air yeah. circulation. Okay, good, good point. Super. I think we have another caller on the line. Good morning. Could you state your name and where you're calling? from please yes this is ryan from newport and i just wanted to address the last caller's uh issue with japanese beetles sure um, the solution is uh chickens <laughs> and um run them in your orchard in small fence off small paddocks yeah depending on how big your orchard is and what they do is uh japanese beetles lay their, their eggs in uh, long grass and it overwinters there so the chickens will scratch and uh get all the larvae and the eggs and um, I've seen this work firsthand. It's pretty amazing. And as a benefit, you get eggs. So, thank you. <laughs> now, that to me sounds like a perfect cycle. <laughs> Super. Well, thanks so much for your call, Ryan. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I think I'm, if, if I were allowed, I'm not allowed to have any more livestock at my house, but that would be the thing to, be have, to have chickens. chickens. Yeah, they would definitely. Yeah. <clears throat> when we uh, lived in Bangor, we had plum trees and apple trees, and that's where I had finally had to cut down the uh, plum trees because Mm -hmm. of the rot but we had a tremendous uh, pressure from um, Japanese beetles Mm because we're right next 
not very far from the municipal golf course, but we weren't allowed to have chickens in Bangor, which is kind of unfortunate. <laughs> that would have been a fun thing. So in case folks are just <coughs> joining us, uh, this is the Common Ground Radio Hour hosted by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardens Association. We're talking about backyard orcharding. We'd love to have you join in the conversation. The number here in the studio is 469-0500. And uh, I do believe we have another caller on the line. Good morning. Could you state your name and where you're calling from, please? Yes, uh, it's John Gornall from Garland. Good morning. And, um, good morning. Great show. Oh, thank um, you. I got a question on pear trees. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a pear tree, and I'm not even sure what variety it is, but it's about 18 feet high at the moment, and it hasn't been put out any pears. And a friend of mine said, uh, I had the same problem, and I took the top third of the tree off, and the next year it was covered in pears. Sounds an easy magic solution, right? But um, I was wondering, would that be a pruning practice that might work, or is it too much to take a bit of a tree off? Um, Let me uh, talk on that. Uh, First of all, pear trees take a long time to bear. Um, Ten years, probably minimum, for whatever kind of pear you're growing. So you have to be patient. And they they tend to have a very vertical habit. And if you can spread them out, if you can weight down the um, branches and make them more horizontal, you'll get um, fruit. Uh, the, the secret about pruning is that uh, trees, apple trees and pear trees, don't like to bear fruit on vertical wood. They like, to, they like horizontal wood. So any way that you can encourage horizontal growth, okay. then you'll start to get, get fruit. And as far as topping the tree, that's fine. Yeah, you know, they, they tend to, pear trees can get, you know, 50 feet high and, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can't can get up a, there. Who can pick a pear that high? Really? Right? Yeah. So, so, yes, absolutely uh, top it and um, encourage horizontal growth. Great. Okay. Uh, I've got another question uh, regarding uh, pear trees. Um, we have some pear trees also probably about seven years old got some amazing fruit from them. I think it's a, a, a Madison and um, oh, still a very popular one. Um, Bartlett? Uh, no, I'm talking about, pe- uh, sorry, peach trees. Oh, peach. Pear trees. oh peach, peach trees. trees. Yeah. Uh, anyway, my question is about um, something must have gotten into the, um, the lower trunk of the tree where it made a nasty deep scar, which is sort of growing over, but um, this nasty-looking gel. Yes, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, um, uh, What I did was I removed the gel, and then I, whether it's good or not, the only thing I I could think of is to spray paint it, um, put some some, some paint on it, and that actually seemed to curtail the uh, gel thing. And the tree has just put out these amazing huge peaches this, this season um, and, and continues to grow. But the other thing is um, it's, it's at the base of the tree where the tree is actually split into two main trunks. Mm-hmm. And one trunk is affected, the other one isn't. So is that something where you might seriously want to think about taking um, that out or on the one trunk or, you know... I. 
I'll listen to your answer. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for the call, John. I know what you, you. I know what you're talking about. I've I've seen that gel at the base of my trees too. Um, I don't know exactly what causes that. Uh, you know that wound, but. Uh, how about you, CJ? Do you know what, what I think that is? You'll find commonly referred to as gomosis is that kind of oozy gomosis? <laughs> orange gel. And um, it's, I think with the stone free, it, it's the tree's response to some type of stimulus or some type of damage in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be disease. It could be pest issues. Um, peaches have – there's an, another type of borer that might go after a peach, though it's not as common – uh, or even mechanical damage, getting hit by a mower or or something like that. So it's more of a response, and what caused it um, is hard to determine. Uh, but oftentimes, we have to also think that the trees don't live forever, and at some point they're going to start to to face their demise. Um, but usually what I try to do is remove that gummy ooze stuff, and oftentimes I'll rub compost in the wound and see if that kind of slows things down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um which I think that's just kind of a, a goodwill approach on my part. <laughs> um, so I think we have another caller on the line. Yep, good morning. Could you state your name and where you're calling from, please? Sure, Mariah, and I'm calling from Liberty. Yes, good morning. And really enjoying this program. I haven't been able to hear the whole thing, so if uh, my questions are duplications, just tell me. Um, I have a, a couple of lapis cherries, and um, they didn't bloom for a long time, and I had a really bad... Um, Japanese beetle issue with them. But then one year we got wasps nests <clears throat> and wasps. And I don't know, I, they may have parasitized the larvae. I don't know what was going on, but we didn't have any. Um, we had our, hardly any uh, Japanese beetles. And we got a beautiful crop of cherries. <laughs> However, I haven't had one cherry since. And that was about three or four years ago. And the Japanese beetles have not been bothering the tree either. So I'm curious if I haven't fed the tree at all, and do I need to do that? You had mentioned something about, uh, you know, um, I guess putting compost or something around the base of of certain trees. So I have that question, and I have the same situation basically with the Stanley plum. I got a few plums one year, and I have not had any since. And I haven't done any feeding of those trees. What should I do? Definitely feed them. But tell me about the cherry. Is it just one lone cherry tree? No, there are three of them out there. Okay, and they're different varieties. I don't think they are. I think they're all lapis. I don't believe cherries are self-pollinating. I think you need uh, two, at least two varieties. Oh, okay. Yeah, my, I suspect that pollination is your problem. If you're getting lots of flowers but few or, or no fruit, then probably pollination is the problem okay and it would be the same with the plum i believe okay. that european plum you mentioned ah oh, okay the stanley is a european plum i believe it is okay yes. and do you just have one plum tree i have two of those too but two. i don't know if they're different the same varieties. or not ah. we I had a toka plum no actually uh we had yes we had a toka and an underwood plums mm-hmm. and the and we never got any plums from either one for, for the longest time because they, they flowered at different times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we finally, we cut down the toka because it was taking over. It, it was the little shop of horrors tree. It, <laughs> it was getting so big. It was so vigorous. I've never seen anything like it. So we cut it down. And then the underwood we had for many years and it never gave us a single plum. One year we took some branches that were in flower from a, a, a wild plum in Blue Hill 
and just cut cut them off and brought them, brought them and hung them in our tree. <laughs> and lo and behold, plums. We got the first plums ever. It was very exciting. That's amazing. It's pollination. Uh, plums, uh, pollination is key. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And with your, with your cherries, the sweet cherries will require another pollinator, but their tart cherries are self-pollinating. So I think the lapins you mentioned, that is a sweet cherry, I believe. Okay. All right. So that looking for another cherry, variety definitely. there. Okay. All right. Well, good. Those are great questions. And well, thank you for your call. Sure. Thank you so much for the program. Oh, good. That... that um, brings up a very good point about the fact that you need a different variety to pollinate on on this. That's true with the apples. Yeah. True yeah. with pears. Yep. And so all of these fruits. Peaches are self-pollinating. Peaches are the only self-pollinating. So, huh. For, for, I, I planted a plum tree. This is in Bangor years ago. I didn't know. I forgot it was a plum tree. And every year it blossomed. And, it, and I'm like, gosh, that tree never gave me any fruit. It was a... Um, uh, green gauge, yeah. and then I, for the heck of it, I planted another couple damson plums. And the following year, this tree was full of this these little green fl- fruits. I said to my husband, "That's the queerest looking apple tree I've ever seen." It wasn't an apple tree; it was a plum tree. Oh. But I didn't, I never, I didn't realize that it's so. You've got to have different varieties on that on the plums to do that. So that's a really good question. That's a really good call. Thank you very much. So oh. talking about pollination. Oh, um, go ahead. Uh, it's hard to get good pollination sometimes. We've kept uh, honeybees, and, mm-hmm. but the, often they'll, they're not really uh, very active when the apple trees are in, in bloom. So somebody suggested um, putting uh, crab apples around, crab apple trees around for, uh, for pollinating the apple trees, the regular apples. And that worked beautifully nice wherever I've put uh, a, crab a crab apple tree. And, you know, they're, they're just profuse with flowers. Oh, and, yeah. and I get much better apple crops wherever they are from, I'm not sure what's doing it. It's not honeybees now. It's, it's got to be a native wild, plum. Yeah, yeah native wild uh, so. bumblebees and the orchard mason bees, all the solitary bees. I, I, the other I do. native pollinators. It's good that diversity helps bring in other other native pollinators, yes, so you don't yes. have to. A lot of thought is on honeybees and shipping them around the country for pollination, but you can do a lot just to maintain those native pollinators. Right. I think we have another caller on the line. Good morning. Could you state your name and where you're calling from, please? Sure, and it's actually the same one as before. I forgot. To oh, <laughs> another question. Up on that other question. Um, what kind of uh, feeding would you recommend, and is it okay to just have grass growing under these fruit trees? Good questions. Guys? Uh, grass is not so good. Grass uh, competes. Um, if you can, um, pull out the grass and put in some compost. If, if that's too much of a chore, um, put a heavy mulch down. What, what, what I do with my trees mostly is I'll put down some rock powders um, first. You know, this is always in the, in the uh, spring, in the late spring. Put... Um, uh, I put down um, rock phosphate. That's a good one. Um, maybe a little lime if your soil's acid. Um, and I put down azomite. Azomite is a it's A to Z. It's trace minerals A to Z, and that's a good rock powder to put down. And then put some compost. I put horse manure on mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. around my trees because I have horses. And then cover it up with a, a heavy load of straw. And that'll that'll usually smother out the grass. What about wood chips? Wood chips are great. Yeah. Yep. 
Okay. Especially if it's the prunings from your trees that you can chip up and just recycle those nutrients oh, right back perfect. into the soil. Perfect idea. So, um, so I have uh, chips that were cut along the road where I live on. Any problem with using those? I don't think so. No, I wouldn't think so. I so don't think so. Good. Typically, uh, hardwood chips are preferred. Mm-hmm in terms of recycling nutrients. Yeah. Um, so if it was all pine, I might stay away from all pine. Or yeah, it's all, not that. It's a good mix. All softwood. And then I need to correct myself about the European plums. The Stanleys, those are um, those are self-pollinating. Oh. Ah, okay. So, so is it possible that they're just not fed enough? Or? Yeah, it's very possible. Oh. You know, yeah. a, a fruit tree has to be vigorous and actively growing for yeah. you to get fruit. Oh, the other thing is the trees, we have some deciduous trees fairly on the east and, uh, and a little bit on the south side, and they've really grown up. Oh, shade? So I'm, I'm, is it possible they're just not getting enough light? Yes, yes that's yeah. possible as well. That wasn't the answer I wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have some firewood and some wood chips. Now yeah, but the, there you go. Yeah. All right, thanks for your call, and I, I appreciate it. So, CJ. We've got some exciting things happening around the Common Ground as far as the New Orchard is concerned, don't we? Yeah, I wanted to just speak quickly about uh, an event that we're having on Sunday because we've been in the process in unity at the Common Ground Education Center with this reclamation of an old gravel pit on a property Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. Mofka purchased a couple years ago. And it is also part of that process is looking at about a five-acre piece of it that is going to be a new... Uh, heritage orchard that we're working on. So there's been a lot of groundwork done, um, a lot of terracing on these slopes. And this Sunday from, I think it's about nine to three, nine to four, we're having a work day to get soil amendments out um, in this new orchard site. We're going to be adding kind of preloading, bulk loading, compost and rock powders uh, at each individual tree site in this new orchard location. And so people could come and help out for the day and learn a little bit about how to prepare the soil for fruit trees. And then we're planning on the planting in April of 2014, the first 100 or 125 trees. So you come help out and get an education all to boot. Plus, I think you can get a free lunch. There's always free lunch. (laughs) There's always free lunch. (laughs) As a matter of fact, there's information about this is on the uh, Mofka website. Uh, A couple other things that are are coming down the pike quite quickly. Uh, October 13th is some fine dining down on the farm to benefit uh, MOFCA. Uh, October 18th, 19th, and 20th is MOFCA's Low Impact Forestry Level 2, working with draft animals. And then on October 27th, everybody needs to mark their calendars, the Great Maine Apple Day. This will be at the Common Ground Education Center. Bring your apples, have them identified, work cook in the kitchen, do some cider tasting. It's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to enjoy all of the apples we have here in Maine. So I want to thank both CJ and Phil for joining us this morning. This has been a wonderful, we could go on for a long time and have this conversation. And uh, thanks very much to Joel, our engineer, who keeps us on task. And join us next month, the first Friday of every month for Common Ground, hosted by your community radio station. Thanks again. Support for WERU comes from Maine Farmland Trust, a member-supported, nonprofit organization focused on reviving the working landscape 
and securing a future for farming in Maine. More information on protecting farmland and supporting farmers at mainefarmlandtrust.org. This is Community Radio, WERU-FM.